Uh, well, A, everybody wants to be in the upper middle class. Sure. But B, everybody feels like they're in the middle class. Everybody feels like, well, I'm in the middle. Mm-hmm. I, I can't get ahead. Yep. Now, now I'm not. I'm not in the lower lower income. No, 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 no. But 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 I'll tell you what. I'm definitely not. I'm not upper income. There's no way with yep. my bills, with what I have to deal with. I'm in the upper income. Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration, so you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We are your hosts, Leo Sabo and David Thompson, and on today's episode, we're talking about the middle class. What does it mean to be in the middle class today, and why this specific term is so important? Yeah, well, Leo, the middle class is basically a socioeconomic term. So socio, sociology, the study of people, uh, it's people and economics, socioeconomic, economic, the study of money and uh, how money relates inside of a bigger economy of people, a larger swath of people, how money moves. So let's look at the middle class. What it does, what does it mean to be in the middle of this broad group of people? Mm-hmm. If you have 100 people in the room, do you define that by by the 50% right in the middle? Do you define it by the median, uh, which is a whole other way of measuring? I mean, this is what's kind of fun is we get to talk about what does it mean to be middle class? And there's a bunch of different ways to measure this. Uh, It's a term that politicians use all the time, and it's evolved over time. In fact, I think when it was first created, the middle class was kind of a breakdown between the working class and then the upper class who was more ownership of companies. You had the blue collar and the white collar workers and finding that middle ground in between. Mm-hmm. But today we often measure it by incomes. And yeah. so we'll talk about measuring it by income, but we're also gonna talk about some of the attitudes behind it, uh, some of the agendas behind using terms like middle class and upper class and the 1% or somebody that's in poverty. We're gonna talk about the terms, the attitudes and the social behaviors that we think should come out of what it means to walk uh, in, below, or above the middle class. Yeah, that's good. You know, for as much as politicians use the term middle class, you'd think it would be better or more clearly defined. But actually, um, nearly 70% of Americans consider themselves in middle class, but only about 52% would qualify based on their income. I think it was a Pew Research Center that did this, and they qualified a middle class family to be between 45,000 and 135,000. And then the Brookings Institute offered a broader range, which was from 37,000 to 147,000. And then still others argue that the swat of Americans below the top 10% is all middle class. So, <laughs> right. so you see there's so much disparity in, <laughs> in, disparity in, in this. Yeah, in trying to figure out, well, do we fit into that? And what does it really matter? Uh, and really, just to give you a, a little bit of another term on this, uh, there was a story done by CNBC it was and it featured a detailed budget breakdown for a couple jointly earning $500,000. And they still felt average. If you asked them if they were middle class, they'd probably say, yeah, just barely. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. they're barely staying into the middle class, uh. which is interesting because, again, it's a perspective. But because it's not clearly defined and it's because it's used by politicians, it could be used, unfortunately, and I believe has a negative impact on us. And that's really what we want to talk about. Yeah, well, you're saying how it's often used by politicians, Leo. And that's because, like you said, statistically, 
70% of people believe they're in mm-hmm. the middle class. Mm-hmm. 70%. So if a if a politician appeals to the middle class, yep. if they say something that says, oh, I'm going to help the middle class, uh, 7 out of 10 people think that they're talking, oh, yep. that's me. Yep. Oh, that's me. Yep. They're, they're going to help me. He's talking to me. You, you have somebody earning $500,000 a year, and they still think, my middle class, that's, that's going to help me. That's wonderful. I mean, that it's, it's funny. But that is, it's just a term that everybody wants to be, uh, well, A, everybody wants to be in the upper middle class. Sure. But B, everybody feels like they're in the middle class. Everybody feels like, well, I'm in the middle. Mm-hmm. I, I can't get ahead. Yep. Now, now I'm, not, I'm not in the lower, lower income. No, 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 no. But, but, but I'll tell you what, I'm definitely not, I'm not upper income. There's no way with yep. my bills, with what I have to deal with, I'm in the upper income. And so it's very funny. So we're going to kind of use the numbers here uh, of that 40000 to 140,000 range as kind of the baseline for what the middle income is. But we're saying middle class. And I think this is also interesting because that creates a dynamic where there are classes of people. Mm -hmm. And that typically is kind of inflammatory language to say, oh, I'm in an upper class than you are. You're in a lower class than I am. And and you felt this in high school. You had the freshmen. Oh, well, those are lower class freshmen. Yeah, you had the seniors. Oh, those that's the upperclassmen. And and it was this it was this weird dynamic of oh I'm I'm more important than you are because I'm two years older than you, three years older than yeah. you. You know, it's just silly. But that's the language that's being used. They aren't yes. saying this somebody this is somebody who happens to be middle income today. This is somebody who happens to be in the upper income today. This is saying no no you're middle class. Yeah, well it's unfortunate that we do have the term. And I, I don't know that it was started the right way back whenever it was started. I don't even think that was done because of just trying to classify people f- for the right reason. I think they were doing it more to show that there's a difference in classes. And I'm reminded of this every time I, I board a certain airline. And they're not the only ones, but I'll just name <laughs> I won't name the name, but you'll know who I'm talking about. But you step on and you have to walk through the first class in order to get to the economy class yes. or the, you know, the budget the or the budget coach class, class. Yeah. coach class. Yeah. And why is it used that way? Well, it's, they're creating classes because they are charging more for one class than the other. I think it's unfortunately a negative term. And unfortunately, it's also used by politicians in order to appeal to a group of people. And because of the way they use it makes you feel like they're talking to you, I think it's important that we realize that really that term and looping everybody, 70% of Americans into one group, I think it's foolish. I just don't think it's a, I mean, when I think about them talking to me, the only way they're going to talk to me directly is if they're talking to me directly, because they don't know my situation. And I'm not saying that that it's, you know, moot and it doesn't appeal to me at all. But I think it's important to understand that when politicians or any entity uses that in order to classify us in different groups, it's really used to discourage and to create discontentment. And I think that's important to understand because when I feel like I am not as good as I should be, then that's going to create certain tensions in my life. It's going to make me behave a certain way. When when a financial bind or financial challenge comes my way and I've just listened to so-and-so say that, you know, the man is keeping me down, something inside of me is going to say, yeah, you know, this car keeps breaking up because I can't buy a new car because I don't make enough because I'm, you know, so-and-so has billions and I... And, and I know many movements that have happened that, that causes that. And our desire on the show is not to become political or to push you one way or the other. Uh, what we're trying to say is that's just the reality of what's out there. What we want to discuss is how does this impact us today? 
in the way we make decisions, in the way we spend our money, and in the way we enjoy our life, because that's really important. Yeah. Well, and we can use these numbers that we talked about earlier, the 40,000 to 140,000, but it's not just numbers. People feel like they're middle class based on different aspects. Mm -hmm. You might feel based on your income, based on your job type, based on the lifestyle that you're living. That's where this $500,000 couple came in is they felt based on their lifestyle, they felt middle income. So let's say that if you did it just based entirely on income, this is according to the Pew Research, uh, they found that 30% of Americans were lower class, that 52% were middle class, and 19% were upper class. Mm. And so it's 52% is the actual kind of middle income earning folks in America, uh, not 70%. Right. But that's the difference. We feel like it's one thing when it's actually another. So you could measure it by income. You could measure it by your job type. Uh, there are people that doesn't matter what the income is, they feel like because they do manual labor, they may make a great increase. They may have a great 20, 30, 40, $50 an hour uh, you know, job. They yeah. may be doing very technical work, but because it's very manual uh, labor or it's intensive based on a technical skill and they're not managing others and they're not owning a company, yeah. they feel like they're lower or middle class just based on the type of job they do. Right. Oh, well, I'm in management. Therefore, I must be middle class. Well, maybe the manager or upper class, or upper class right? right? Maybe the manager's actually earning a very low income, but they still feel mm-hmm. middle class just yeah. based on the type of job they do. Uh, you have somebody that owns a company that's actually not turning a profit, but because they own a company, they feel like, oh, I'm upper class. Like yes. I've really arrived because yeah. I own a company. And they might actually make less than a daily, you know, wage yeah, work. Wage absolutely. So, so so it's not just dollars, but it's also, you know, the lifestyle that we live, what type of job we do. When you look at lifestyle, I think that people in their mind mm-hmm. think, oh, well, you know, I don't have a vehicle right now and I don't have a home and, you know, I don't have a lot in savings. Therefore, I must be lower income. Yeah. And, and there's a feeling there. Or you know, middle class is when you have two vehicles and you mm-hmm. own a home and you have medical coverage and right. savings and you can yeah. go on vacation. That's what middle class is. We all have weird, different definitions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can be in a very high income and still feel like, well, just because they're luxury vehicles that I drive and just because I go on three vacations a year, still, it doesn't mean that yeah. I'm, you know, doing well. I'm still just barely squeaking by. So a lot of it is subjective. Sure. Uh, and yet we're going to try to just put some language to this thing and not necessarily deal with the middle class itself, but to deal with the attitudes behind it and the agenda that somebody might be using that term and what their agenda might be. Yeah. Well, the other thing is to realize that a lot of our um, entertainment, like the TV uh, time we spend watching either the news or certain shows, I mean, we've seen everything from The uh, Apprentice to Shark Tank to so many shows that have to do with with building wealth and and of course the people that are running these shows you know you've got mark cuban and you've got mr wonderful and and all these people that are they're billionaires right so we're looking at them and trying to and maybe we follow them on twitter maybe maybe we get their daily you know nugget of wisdom or whatever and it's easy to connect with this person and almost feel like okay he's a person i'm a person they're not much different than i am they're just they they're just there now and i can be there but the chance of you becoming a billionaire, let's just be honest, it's very slim. Can it happen? Of course, it can happen. But how many people will actually go to that level? Not everyone, certainly not a majority. So we're talking about very few. But yet the daily feed that we get, the daily influence that we have, is from these kind of people. And it's easy to compare our life with theirs. 
and it's such a, I mean, we're talking about not just, you know, four times more than us. We're talking thousands of times yeah. more than us. And, and unfortunately, even when you, when you see someone in the limelight of behind a camera, they're putting on a show, that's not their real life anyway. Right. You know, what's really going on behind closed doors, what they're doing in their own personal life, the kind of lifestyle they live, not in the public, but in the private, we don't know. We talked about the book, uh, The Millionaire Next Door. How many right, millionaires right. you wouldn't be able to recognize because they literally live next door to you, but yet the ones that are driving the Ferraris and the flashy cars and the flashy houses and all that stuff, they're usually not millionaires. They're the ones that are just, they have a good income hmm. and they're just borrowing, a, you know, up there, they're bloated to their eyeballs. And unfortunately, that, that has an influence on us. So what's important is to realize that the influence that's coming in your way and this definition of of being middle class or maybe being not thinking you could fit into that class has that influence of making you feel dissatisfied. So you can feel like no matter what you do, uh, you know, you, you don't have enough income to go out to eat like other people, or you only have three bedroom home and not a four or five. Uh, and maybe you have four kids and it'd be nice to have a bedroom for each one of them. So now you may feel like you're not that well off as you might think you are. Or uh, your kids have to go to public school. They can't go to private school. You don't make enough. So all of a sudden you're not in the middle class. So it's interesting to me how all of those things, unfortunately, have the potential to negatively impact us in the way we think about our life, uh, whether we're satisfied, whether um, we feel like we have a great life, but maybe still feel poor at times because we can't quite reach those goals. So I think it's important to, to see that and not let the middle class and all the terms that are used uh, become a definition of, of who you are and and your level of success and define that, and more importantly, how you live day to day. Yeah, well, when I hear somebody use the term middle class, or I hear somebody you know, say the word the 1% or the rich or the ultra wealthy or the poor and poverty, when I hear these buzzwords, my immediate thought is to, to go back to who is this person mm -hmm. and what's their agenda with this conversation. Right. That's good. Because odds are they don't really care about that individual group of people because they've not taken the time to actually explore who that group of people is. Yeah. They're lumping them together for an agenda that they may personally have mm -hmm. to make themselves look good, to push through some kind of policy or some kind of idea that they have. And they're just using this language because it tends to resonate with a lot of people. But I want to actually go behind that and figure out how do we individually improve our lives? You know, you can have rich friendships. You can find a healthy community. Uh, most people in America eat every day. They enjoy a safe place to live. We're yeah. not in a war-torn country. Uh, we're not worried about the government coming through our doors every single day to take away our stuff or right. to, to say, no, you can't own this. The government owns everything now. You know, we can find fulfilling work that we can pursue every day, even if you're in a low-income area, even mm -hmm. if you're just getting started on your financial journey. There's upward mobility. 55% uh, of Americans, 55%, they are better off today than their parents were at their same age. Mm. Uh, we are moving forward. Now, not everybody, not 100%, right. but that's based more on individual decisions. You yes. have people that are in the top 20% uh, of all income earners. They're in the very high income brackets. But their kids make decisions that cause them to move into middle class and lower income based on their decisions. You also have people that start out in lower income, and I think it's 72% of people, they're in the lowest 20%, 72%. 
hmm. have increased beyond where their parents were. So growing up in households where parents were in the 72, the, the lowest 20%, right. 72% of those kids have moved on beyond where their parents were. Yep. That's, that's extremely high mobility. Now, are there some that stay? Yes. And are there some structural things that we should do to improve education systems? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but if you try to lump a whole bunch of people together, Mm-hmm. And you try to vilify one group of people or you make another group of people out to be heroes or you make another group of people out to be completely victimized. Then now I'm thinking, what's the what's the reasoning behind this? Because this whole group of people wasn't victimized and this whole group of people over here wasn't villains. Yeah. When I look at the people that have done the the best financially in their life and they have become, you know, the the millionaires the billionaires, the the multi multi billionaires. You look at somebody like Jeff Bezos uh, or Steve Jobs or Bill Gates. Um, you know, Steve Jobs, he he created Apple and he created some of the first personal computers yeah. and some of the first software and programming that went into that that people loved. Mm-hmm. And then you, you, know, you can look at his whole history and his story. He stepped away from the company. He came back and brought in the iPod and sold that to millions and millions of people. The iPod was revolutionary. People lined up for days to, to go buy an iPod and then an iPhone. In 2007, when the iPhone came out, it was like, wow, we can buy this new product. Mm-hmm. And people are handing over dollars willingly. Yeah. Nobody's forcing them to give their money to Apple. Mm-hmm. And Steve Jobs was one of the people behind that. And he became very well off because of that. Yeah. While he was living, he was definitely in the top 1%. Of course. But he's not a villain. I'm not mad at him. Yeah. Same with Bill Gates. Yeah, I mean, when I look at these people, I, they're almost people that I, I are more heroes than they are villains because they've provided service to millions of people. Yeah, I think that's that's lost sometimes in in this agenda that some people have, which is to vilify wealthy people, to say they should pay a bigger portion of taxes, all the other things. But what we forget is that a lot of the ingenuity and a lot of the products that we enjoy every day were created by these people who took risks, who sometimes lived in their cars. Yeah. for a season or they were willing to take they started in their garage yeah, that's they, where Steve Jobs was exactly they started in in ways that most people will say you're never going to succeed like yeah. just quit and give right. up and i wonder how many people have been in those positions have quit and we don't have more of what Steve Jobs or or Bill Gates or some of these other guys have created and so i i tend to be more on the side of i appreciate people who have done these things i don't look at their wealth as something uh that somehow negatively impacted me or impacts me because their wealth, they have more of it and I don't have any of it. I don't believe in that. Capitalism actually speaks against it. Capitalism creates wealth. It doesn't just take a specific, uh, there's not a specific amount of wealth and that's it. Wealth is created. The iPod wasn't around. The iPhone (laughs) wasn't around. It was created out of raw materials and now it's something that wasn't, that is, that's creating wealth. Yeah. And so, you took you took a hundred dollars worth of parts individually, mm-hmm. and you turned it into a four hundred dollar product. Exactly. So you created yes. three hundred dollars of wealth. Yes. That, I mean that's incredible because that wealth then turns into a product which is sales tax, which mm-hmm. the government gets taxes from yes. the sales tax. There's multiple multiple benefits. If I work in retail and I sell one of those and I get paid an hourly wage. Well, now there's an income to me personally, and then that person pays individual personal income taxes. Yep. And I mean, like, 
it, the wealth grows in capitalism because everybody has the opportunity to freely trade with one another and say, hey, do you have a product that I want? Great, let's trade. I like that idea. Mm-hmm. You know, the government doesn't own it all. And so I know we're going a little bit, you know, yeah. off on, on a direction. But here, it's but important it's, to point out yeah. the fact that sometimes when these people are vilified by major groups that have an agenda, what they're doing is they're trying to say these people have done something wrong. And it's like, no, let's not forget they've done a lot of good. <laughs> they've done a lot right. And the fact that they were rewarded by exchange of funds from one person who bought their product to them doesn't make them evil. It also doesn't make them evil when they pay less taxes than, than on average than we do because the government allowed it. The government decides who pays how much tax. Yeah. And if they create the loop, what they call loopholes, which are just legal ways of preventing taxes from being taken from you because right. you can use the money in different ways. I mean, that's, I don't know anyone. I don't care if you're wealthy or just, you know, lower income. It doesn't matter. If you're paying more tax than you should, you're the fool. I'm sorry, but that's the reality. Like, why would you pay more tax than you should? Um, And these people are not foolish. They're like, hey, if I can create an incentive to bring jobs to a location and get the state or the government or the city to give me incentive for moving here to help make the transition better, make the move less costly, and give me some margin so that I can get this thing running and successful, then I'm going to ask for those deals. Like, wouldn't you? I would. Well, and, the, and they do pay taxes. I mean, here's yes. the thing, is that even if you're looking at what's called capital gains tax, that is basically where you have invested money, and that money then grows because the investment was put into something that grew, that the company grew bigger, that you invested into products or equipment that created more. Yeah. In where it grows, you still pay taxes on that increase, but the tax rate is slightly lower than the average federal income rate. So federal yeah. income is you get an income. Well, when you get paid $50,000 a year, $100,000 a year, you have tax brackets and those tax brackets go up. With capital gains, you've already paid taxes on the income and now you invest that income. Mm-hmm. And then as it grows, then you pay taxes again. Yeah. So you're actually paying taxes a second time most of the time. Now, now it is interesting. There are, there are ways to structure your income where you only get paid based in, on you know stock options and capital yeah. gains, and yeah. you only pay taxes when you sell that investment. There are there are ways, legal ways. but the legal ways around it, yeah. uh, are, at the end of the day, there's still going to be taxes somewhere, sure. and they're legal. So this person is typically finding ways to pay less taxes. That's exactly what I do every yeah. year when the tax time comes around. I'm yeah. like, what do I need to do to lower my tax? Well, <laughs> all of us do it to a degree. If you right. think about it, if you invest in a, a tax-deferred plan, 401k, 403b, IRA, if you do that, you're paying less in taxes than you should right? because some of your income is going to go to this investment and you're not going to pay taxes until 20, 30, 40 years from now when you start drawing. Right. So is that wrong? Is that morally wrong? Is that illegal? No, of course not. It's a benefit that we get in order to improve our situation. The government says, hey, if you're investing for yourself or you don't end up being you know, taken care of by the government, right. we're going we're gonna to support that. We're going to give the incentive to do it. And in many ways, that's that's what's happening with some of these companies. But again, going back to our topic is there is an agenda sometimes by politicians, by different groups that want to use this middle class as a way to create discontent. And moving away from the political side, just from my personal perspective, I look at it and say, how is this making me feel about how I spend my money? 
You know, do I feel good about my life? Well, if I'm constantly hearing negative, 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 then I might start entertaining some of that and thinking, hmm, you know, that sounds logical. I mean, yes, they, they got this much and I'm paying this much and I'm barely scraping by, especially if, you know, we've all hit hard times and it's easy to get sucked into that. And what we're saying is, let's move away from that. There's no healthy benefit from that. Let's move away from that and look at how do we manage in a way that helps us to be satisfied, uh, have a satisfied life, uh, come home every day feeling fulfilled, um, not feeling poor because of what other people say. And this comparison thing, it's just there's no good to it. I mean, we we tell our kids, right. don't compare yourself to other kids. You know, they're different than you are and all that. And now we, we tend to still do it. So it is it is a temptation to look at others and say, I'm not doing as well. But I think that's that's a that's a place to start to just stop that and let's move toward, let's just have our own life and let's figure out how to move forward on our own. Because the research you just shared about people from the 20% being in the lower income and, you know, in the households of parents in the lower income, 70%, 72% of them moving out of that and and succeeding their parents considerably. uh, That's a win to me. That's That's because they didn't focus on the negative. Oh, I'm, I'm in this place and I don't have any opportunities. They took whatever opportunities they had and they move themselves to a better position. And all of us can do that. Right. And then 55% of people that are in the middle class, they end up being better off than their parents. Their parents. So you just see this trend all throughout the system. Is it perfect? No. no. Are there things that we can increase and grow in? Yes. But overall, I think that a level of gratitude and contentment for where we live, uh, if you think about it in America, if you live in America and you're listening to this podcast, um, half of the world half of the world, a little over 3 billion people live on less than $2.50 a day. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that's like $900 a year in income. Yeah, that's incredible. And if you're in the poverty zone of America, you're living on $20,000 a year. That's 20 times yeah. that 900, maybe a thousand bucks that the average person around the world lives on. Uh, if you live in America and you have any kind of running water, any kind of electricity that you're connected to, mm-hmm. if you have a roof over your head that isn't just tin sheets, you know, like metal, tin metal, yeah. you know, kind of lumped on top of each other or mud that's been constructed over your head. I mean, if you have any kind of uh, pl- indoor plumbing, uh, let alone air conditioning, where you mm-hmm. would actually control the air around you, I mean, that's just crazy <laughs> in some countries. Like what you, most people... Half the world live on less than $2.50 a day. If you are not worried about your next meal, then you should have a deep gratitude. And actually what should shift is not trying to pursue the billionaire and trying to become like them. Although, yeah, I mean, why not emulate and learn and grow? Yeah. But but you shouldn't be saying, how do I compare my lifestyle to this billionaire or this multi-multi-millionaire? How about I take what I've been given and I grow it and I learn and I add to my skills and yeah. I learn how to serve others. And then I take a step back and I go to the people who have less than I do and I help them. And I take somebody who earns two fifty a day and I help them earn $5 a day and I've doubled their lifestyle. Um, and, and I mean, just find contentment going back and not comparing up, but comparing backwards and saying, how can I serve people who have less than I do? That's where you're going to find the greatest fulfillment and the greatest yeah. joy. Yeah, I totally agree. So let's wrap this up with just talking about something that might be helpful for our listeners in the way of how do you go on from here? If you look at your life and maybe you're discontent, maybe you feel like you're kind of in the lower middle class and trying to creep up, so to speak, and help uh, yourself and your family be in a better position, 
is that something you can do? And obviously from what we shared and, you know, it's very much possible. A lot of people have done it. You can do it. But how do you do it? Yeah. Like what's the thing that's going to help you to get yourself from where you are to a better place? If you are in a place that you're not satisfied with uh, or you're just somewhat discontent and dissatisfied, let's say you're just like, man, this thinks I don't want to be here. How do you go to the next place? How do you move up? Yeah, well, there's one tool that is better than almost anything that I know of, and that is for you to put a budget in place, Mm -hmm. for you to have a plan, for you to actually structure and say, at the beginning of the month, I know I'm going to earn this much, and so I'm going to spend within that, I'm going to spend less than I earn, and actually planning what's coming in and what's going out, having a very clear picture. And Ashley and I still do this every month and even just a couple days ago we did it and we pulled our physical receipts from what we call our monthly spending category and that's gas and groceries and date nights and a few other miscellaneous things it's not everything in our budget but we went and actually pulled physical receipts and tracked and said okay did we stay within our grocery budget yes okay did we stay within our our automobile gas budget yes okay did we stay within our um, spending for date nights yes we had a plan and then we tracked and we stuck to it. Uh, This helps you to spend on what's actually valuable to you, not just based on social and peer pressures. Because there's always gonna be people that say, hey, you should spend this, you should buy this, you should wear this, you should go here, you should do that. And if you say, well, I already have a plan in place and I'm gonna live on my plan, on my values, and I'm gonna define those values before the month begins. This is one of the best tools for you to grow in your finances. You know, another thing to consider as you're putting a plan like this in place and managing it is to think about uh, the goals that you have, right? I mean, if you don't have any goals, you're not going anywhere. You'll probably end up at that place, wherever that is, but you have to have a goal. So part of putting a plan together is that you have a goal. Maybe your first goal is to get out of debt. It's maybe to build an emergency fund. Both of those are worthy goals that most people should be reaching and attaining. And once you do, your life will be completely different. I don't, that's not a dollar amount. It's just a position of not owing anybody and having money in the bank for emergencies. Just those two alone will make your life so much better, so much more peaceful. And it just gives you that, that, uh, that joy of knowing everything's going to be okay because you're prepared. But another one is also lifestyle creep. And by lifestyle creep is, is this notion that as you get an income bump, your lifestyle also goes up equally. So no matter how much money you make, going back to the example of this couple that made $500,000, they allowed lifestyle creep to get them to the point where they're spending everything they're making, maybe even beyond that. That's how debt is added to a, a family is because they live beyond their budget and now they need credit cards to get through emergencies. So if you have lifestyle creep, the thing to do is to realize that creating margin between what you're bringing in and what's going out is the best way to get to a financial security and eventually building wealth. But this lifestyle creep, the only thing you need to do is, is have a plan in place to see when that income comes in. I remember whenever we would get a, an increase in, in pay, Natalie and I, we would sit down and it, we knew exactly after taxes how much net gain we would have per month. And if it was $200, then we'd sit down and say, okay, what do you want to do with it? And we always had a desire to increase our margin. So the first thing we said, okay, 50% is going to go to savings. And the other 50%, we divided up between two or three categories that we felt we wanted to have a little bit more money in. Maybe we wanted to increase our vacation. Maybe eating out or date nights were a little bit smaller than what we would enjoy. But now that we had a slightly bigger income, we felt like we could afford to bump those up a little bit. 
And I think if you do that, then what happens is as your income grows, but your lifestyle doesn't keep up pace with it, it creates a margin. It creates this gap. And as that gap widens, you can take actual cash and create wealth, starting a business, investing in real estate, uh, buying some mutual funds, wh whatever you can do with that. Now it takes you from just living to actually building wealth and eventually having a, a more f uh, secure financial uh, life. Yeah, that's exactly right. So what I would recommend is that you get this platform in your life today. You create this budget today. Um, you can do it on paper. You can do it in an Excel sheet. What I recommend is that you go to leosabo.com and that you click on the resources tab and under resources, you can download a budgeting Excel sheet for free. You can watch videos on how to build a budget. And if you actually just wait on the webpage for about a minute or even probably 10, 15 seconds, a link will come up and it'll say, take the budgeting course. Mm -hmm. And you'll actually get a course that walks you through creating a budget that you can live on. If you have this plan in place, it does all of these things. It helps you have a clear picture of what's coming in and what's going out. It helps you set your goals. It helps you avoid peer pressure. It helps you avoid lifestyle creep because you know how much is coming in and you know where to stop spending and create more margin, more savings in your life. So go to leosabo.com, uh, download the resources and the tools. Uh, we love that you're spending time with us on this podcast. Take a minute and right now open up the app and scroll down to the very bottom if you're on an iPhone and hit the five star button. If you think this, uh, this episode and this show is five star worthy, hit the five star button. If you're on CastBox or if you're listening on an Android device, usually you can heart the episode or you can like the episode or you can give it a thumbs up. You can often comment on it. Please comment on the episode. Uh, please go on to Facebook. Go mm -hmm. on to Instagram. Uh, you can find Leo Sabo. You can find David Thompson. You can search Getting Money Right. If you just go to Google and type in Getting Money Right and come up with our podcast, um, find us, interact with us. If you go to stewardshippastors.com, uh, the book Jesus on Money is getting closer and closer to launching. The newest update is that a book cover uh, is is done. I've got three different book covers ready. Awesome. And so now I need people to come and vote on the book cover. So this is a little bit of a long web link, but it's stewardshippastors.com slash or backslash Jesus on Money book cover. So stewardshippastors.com backslash Jesus dash on dash money dash book dash cover. And so we'll if, put it in the link. We'll note. put it in the link. Yeah, we'll put a link to it in the notes. Uh, we won't make you have to memorize that, but you can go on there and you can actually vote on the book cover. And then you can always just check it out at stewardshippastors.com. Click on Jesus on money and see the book as it's getting closer and closer to being done. Uh, but this is just going to outline what Jesus said about money. And it's kind of a cool topic. So, so please continue to interact with us. Let us know on social media if you enjoyed this episode, uh, what you'd like us to create episodes on in the future. If you've heard something in the news that you didn't understand, or mm -hmm. you felt like there's, uh, maybe you understood a surface level, but you feel like there may be something deeper you need to understand on a topic, let us know. We'd love yep. to do an episode on it. Uh, you can find the show notes to this episode more content and resources all at leosabo.com. And we look forward to having you join us next time. So that together, we, we can, can keep, keep getting, getting money right. right. There's one tool that is better than almost anything that I know of, and that is for you to put a budget in place. For you to have a plan, for you to actually structure and say at the beginning of the month, I know I'm going to earn this much, and so I'm going to spend within that, I'm going to spend less than I earn. Mm -hmm.